When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we've been following this saga through Exodus where Moses is leading these people to freedom from slavery. But all along, the narrator has kept us surprised that the people are not 100% on board. They question Moses. They complain and murmur and grumble all along the way. And not only Moses, they're struggling with Moses and trusting him, but they're also struggling to trust this Lord, this God that Moses is telling them about. Finally, we're at the point of the story where God has brought them to this holy mountain, this place of worship, where Moses says he first heard this God calling him by name. But even now, the people are scared. There's smoke and storms and clouds. And they say to Moses, you go up the mountain. We're going to stay down here and wait until you return. So Moses says, okay. And he goes up into the clouds and the smoke and the storms on the mountain to listen for God. But Moses seems to be slow to return this time. 
And the people began to get antsy. They began to get a bit anxious and fearful that maybe Moses is not coming back. They have quickly forgotten the commandments that he presented that we read about earlier in this story from Exodus. Remember the first two. One, have no other gods before me. Number two, make no idols. But what do they say to Aaron? As soon as fear begins to creep in, they circle around Aaron and say, make for us a God that we can see. Make a physical object that we can worship. And maybe Aaron could have said, wait, remember the Ten Commandments? Or maybe he could have said, let's have patience. Maybe we should give Moses a little more time before we make a decision. Or he even could have said, wait, let me pray about it a little bit. Let me pray and ponder and think about it. I'll get back with you on whether or not we should be making something like this. But unfortunately, Aaron doesn't say any of those things. It tells us in verse 2 what he says to the people. As soon as they ask for him to make for them gods, he says, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And then as soon as he gets them, he casts them into an image so that they have a golden calf to worship. Wow, following the commandments does not last very long. Listening to Moses, listening to God does not last very long. The people are quick to turn away. There's a hymn that we sing here often called Here I Am, Lord. That is a beautiful hymn, but it speaks poetically about this kind of experience from God's perspective. It says, I, the Lord of snow and rain, I have borne my people's pain. I have wept for love of them. They turn away. They turn away. God is hard at work trying to shape them into a people and bless them with all they need for life. And they turn away. As I was at my desk this week reading over this text and thinking about this very part, I think, oh yes, they turn away. But I also realized I turn away. There have been those times in my life where I wasn't listening to God and I turned away and I thought about us as a congregation and thought how easily we can turn away and fail to listen to God. It is so easy to turn away from God. Anytime we let anxiety and angst and fear begin to creep in and take over, so easy begin to trust in our gold or our wealth, just as these people of old did. So easy to think, maybe I should take control of this. I've waited on God long enough. Maybe I'll make this happen. Or maybe we just settle in and gather around the fire to eat and drink as these people in the story do. 
It's a time of year where we think about stewardship. That is how we're to use the resources God has entrusted to us. There'll be a story that I read years ago in your letter when it comes to you this week. It talks about a man who went to see a college president, a man who revered this college president as a man of great wisdom. He was escorted into the president's office and sat down in the office before the president arrived. He was admiring how beautifully decorated everything was and how all the colors and just books and chair, everything was beautifully appointed and went together so well. Except for right on the corner of the desk, there was a crudely carved wooden turtle. It just didn't fit. So when the president came in, the man asked about the turtle. And the president said, I keep it there because it reminds me of one of the great lessons of life. And he picks up the turtle and turns it over for the man to read. And it says, remember the turtle. It only makes progress when it sticks its neck out. So often, we are people who want to stay in our shells, stay in our comfort zones. But our faith calls us to something greater than that and tells us that God is doing something bigger than that. And that we need to pull our heads out of our shells and move into the future with God. If you know what I'm saying. In reality, it can be so difficult to discern the difference between trusting God and doing what God wants us to do and trusting ourselves and just saying, oh, that's what God wants me to do. It can be difficult to truly trust God with all of who we are and live by God's rules and God's directives and God's guidelines and God's instructions for life. These people in the story today when they allow their angst and anxiety and fear to take over, they decide they'll make their own God, one they can control, one they can fashion. Oh, they get up the next morning and Aaron builds an altar and they make burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the text says in verse 6, they make sacrifices and these burnt offerings for well-being. And there's nothing wrong with that. All of us want to have a sense of well-being and security. And even God, I believe, wants us to feel that way. But the problem comes when we don't trust God to lead us and show us the best way for that to happen. The problem comes in our story today because the people do not trust that God knows best. They decide they know better and they'll go their own way. Last week, we read the story out of Exodus about these Ten Commandments, these instructions or guidelines that God has revealed to Moses so that the people might live together as the people of God under the covenant or the authority of the Lord their God. But after we looked at those as commandments for life, as blessings for all of us to live by, I ended the sermon by sharing the thought that they still have to decide. They still have a choice to make. God has given the people freedom to choose. 
They have freedom to follow or not. They have freedom to decide if they're going to observe the ways of God or not. In our story today, we find out they decided, at least in this moment, they decided not to follow the way God proposes. And then a startling thing happens. God gets really angry. God cannot believe this is happening. You hear it in verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once, exclamation point, your people. Not my people anymore. He's speaking to Moses. Your people, these people who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. Oh, I've seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. God is really angry at this point. But Moses, who has developed this close relationship with God, argues with God. You hear it in verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Now we need to notice a couple of things about this. This is a fairly primitive view of God. It's a very human-centered. This God is sort of like a big human with power. This God sounds a lot like Pharaoh, who has been the ruler of these people, who could get mad and angry and in a moment decide to wipe everyone out. But also we should notice that this God can change God's mind. That Moses can help God make a better decision. Most of us would not apply those kind of characteristics to God. Our view of God is developed in a different way from that. Most of us would rather say that the characteristics of God would be something like love and mercy as central to our understanding of God. Both in the course of these last centuries, Judaism and Christianity have decided that their God and view of God can develop and evolve and that we can gain greater understanding of who God is. So some of these ideas about God being angry and wiping out all the people are no longer really at the heart of how we view God. But there is an idea in this text that is still central here. Remembering. Remembering is crucial in Judaism and Christianity. You hear it if you've ever been a part of a Seder meal or a Passover liturgy. As the Jews read through that, they're remembering the mighty acts of God. You hear the same thing in the liturgy for Christian communion. We're remembering all God has done for us in Christ. And when we get to the very end of that, Jesus says, Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. 
remembering solidifies our identity and our character and therefore leads us to do the right thing. I knew a Methodist couple years ago. They told me whenever their teenagers, who were then by then adults, would go out, that they would, had a saying that they would always leave with them just before they departed. They would say, remember who you are and where you come from. Remember who you are and where you come from. I really like that. My wife and I used that with our own teenagers when they came along years later because we knew if they remembered who they were, that's all they needed to know. If they remembered their Christian identity and their family in which they had been raised, they would make the right decision. If they would remember who they were and where they come from, everything would work out all right as they went into life. That's all that needed to be said as they were leaving. Remember who you are and where you come from. Amen. Oh,